When you are a sheep and you live in the jungle, being nice and civilized is not an advantage. It's a liability. It only makes you die faster. Nice and civilized is not the goal for you if you want to live. What a sheep in the jungle needs is a shepherd. Because the shepherd has the pasture, and he's got the watering, he's got the defense, he's even got the offense. You know, in Psalm 23, he's got a rod and a staff. I can't remember which one is for the sheep and which one is for anybody who wants to steal the sheep. But he's got a rod and a staff. And when he wants to use it, pow! Good shot, shepherd. Thank you. Now this chapter here, 1 Samuel 31, it's a hard chapter to teach. We're going to finish the book today. But this chapter really doesn't have a lot of hope in it. There is death, destruction, there's dishonor and grief. But even so, we can listen to this and we can learn that it's not enough when you're in the jungle to be civilized and nice. A sheep has to be close to its shepherd and listen to him. If you wander away from your shepherd, you will die. That is the law of the jungle. So the encouragement is to do not choose to be a sheep alone in the jungle. So let's read. It says in 1 Samuel 31, everybody with me? Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell in his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. So here, the Philistines completely defeat Israel and kill Saul and three of his sons. This wasn't all the sons that Saul had, but the three that were with him in the army, they died. And 
At first, it seems as though Israel engaged the Philistines on the valley floor. But that's where the Philistines had their chariots, where they had the tactical superiority. And it seems that the Philistines were way too powerful. Israel retreats up Mount Gilboa, where they were camped before. That's a defensive posture. It's easier to defend downhill. It's harder to attack uphill. And yet that doesn't seem to help. And it says that they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Literally, they were pierced. They're getting wiped out. And you notice that the main strategy is to focus on Saul and his sons. If you kill the leadership, Resistance evaporates. And the biblical way to express this is in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. And so you notice they first killed Saul's three sons that were there. And that includes Jonathan, David's great and wonderful friend. But he goes down here. And then they go after Saul himself. And you notice that it says the archers hit him. And in the margin of your Bible, it might say they found him. And the idea was they were looking for him. And when they found him, they started aiming for him. That was their job. So they hit him badly. Think Lord of the Rings when all those orcs are firing arrows at Boromir. And he's trying to defend uh, the two hobbits, you know, and he's still trying with arrows in him. And you think, oh, you poor guy. This is a horrible part of the film. Well, this is happening right here. Saul is just full of arrows. He's in great pain and suffering, so he tells his armor bearer, kill me. And the reason is, notice that in verse 4, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. And he refers to them in a contemptuous way, uncircumcised. And what that means is they're not in the covenant with God. They have no relationship with God. They're not under the law of God that commands mercy and compassion. These Philistines are essentially godless. And because they're godless, they don't practice mercy. They don't practice grace or compassion. And Saul doesn't expect any mercy from them. These are the kind of guys that would take a wounded Saul and see how much can he stand before he goes unconscious or, or what? What can we do to him before he dies? For fun. Now that's gross to think about, isn't it? But that's the kind of guys these guys are. 
They are merciless. They're brutal. They're cruel. And Saul says, I'd rather not. And so his armor bearer won't kill him. He falls on his own sword. He dies. His armor bearer says, yeah, there's no way I want to face these guys and let them do anything they want to to me. And I've read some horrific stuff that people like the Philistines do to their uh, prisoners. What they do to them before they kill them because they're brutal. And I won't talk about it because it's not fit. But it's horrific. Death is preferable to being tortured for fun. And so it's a complete loss for Israel, a complete win for the Philistines. And now the Philistines begin raking in their winnings. You notice in verse 7. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, that they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths. They fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. So what they initially did was in verse 8, the next day they come to strip the dead. Kind of rest up after a hard day's work and then you come back and you get to take anything you like. You strip the armor, the weapons, anything they had on them, good luck pieces, or anything because it's yours for the taking. That's part of it. And then, verse 7, they even get to take towns, whole cities. Because when the Israelites realize that there is no king in Israel, Saul is dead, there's nobody to stand up for him and resist the Philistines. And so they go, we got to get out of here. And they take whatever they can and flee. So the Philistines come and find houses and barns and all kind of things set up. And they go, great, I'm going to get the wife and kids. We're going to move in. This is great. And then on that day when they strip the slain, they find Saul and his sons. So this is great. They cut off their heads take their weapons and their armor, and this is trophy stuff. This is evidence. Because they preached the good news all over the cities of the Philistines. They're dead. We're victorious. Our gods are better than their god. We have 
victory. We're better than them. We have more stuff. We win. They lose. This is great. And Israel is scattered, no leader, weak, degraded, impoverished. That's a mess. Now, in my mind, this situation begs a few questions. Like, what was this war about? Why would the Philistines and Israel be having a conflict in the first place? You ever wonder about that? Well, it has to do with the rules. The rules. Let's look at the rules. One rule is you never attack those stronger than you because you could lose. The rule is you always attack those weaker than you. And Israel is weaker than the Philistines. So it's, it's great. Those are the kind of people that we like to attack. And um, so that means competition without mercy. So we're always looking, who are the weak guys? Ah, there's one. Let's attack them. That's a rule. Here's the second rule. Why do they have stuff and I don't have it? Just the very fact that they have stuff is kind of a provocation right there. All right? So that's the rule. You want what they have. Everybody taking these rules down? So you look for the weaker one, and you say, why do they have anything at all? They're so weak. That's called coveting, by the way. And then the next rule is, if you want it, and you think you're strong enough, you should take it. That's a rule. If you can intimidate your prey and get them to give it to you, that's great, because then you don't have to work so hard. That's called robbery. If you can get it without fighting. But the next rule is, if it comes to battle, kill the people to get the things you want. This is a rule, because if you don't kill them, then they can come back to get you someday. You don't want that. So the strong win and the weak die, this is called murder. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking these are rules? These are laws? It reminds me of this scene in, a, in an old movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And Butch is the leader of a, a group of, of thieves called the Hole in the Wall Gang. And he's off with, with the Sundance Kid. And they come back to the group and they go, oh, Butch, uh, we got a situation here. Somebody wants to take over. He goes, really? So here's this big guy, and he's got this really long Bowie knife. And he wants to take over the group. So he wants to challenge Butch to a knife fight. And Butch goes, really? Okay, well, let's get the rules straight. And the guy goes, rules? in a knife fight? And he goes, yeah, rules, come on. 
Okay, first rule, none of this. And he does a surprise move on him, and he kills him. So those are the rules of a knife fight. And these are the rules. This is called the law of the jungle. These are the rules. This is how people live without God. They live like merciless animals. And see, this is why Saul would rather die than face these guys because here's another rule of the jungle. And that is when you've got your prey where you want them, you play with them before you kill them. Because that's fun. So that's why there's a war on. Israel's not looking for anything, but the Philistines say, if Israel is there and they're weaker than us, let's take what they have. That's what they did. But then why did Saul lose? That's my next question. And Israel was defeated by their own choice because they wanted to be like all the other nations. Now, back in chapter 8 here, Samuel's getting old. He's turning some of his responsibilities over to his sons, but they take bribes. And the elders of Israel come to Saul and say, you know, or Samuel, they say, this isn't working out. Your sons aren't like you. Make us a king like all the other nations. And Samuel goes to God about that, and he says, you know what? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me that I should rule over them. And see, Israel wants to pick and choose. This is the tough situation here. All the good things that Israel had came from God. Because back when Samuel began being the judge of Israel, they all repented and got together at Ebenezer. The Philistines attacked. They prayed to God. God delivered them in such a striking way that the Philistines never attacked for the rest of Samuel's leadership over Israel. They had peace, prosperity, freedom. All that came from God. So what they came to think was, well, it would be fun to have a king over us. Then he could fight our battles and go before us. Take responsibility for us. So what they really want is they want the good stuff from God, but they also want what they want. Two incompatible things. You can't have God and then do what you want. They're mutually incompatible. You can't go two directions at the same time. Do you want me to demonstrate? I'll go to that wall and that wall at the same time. Here we go. Ready? How am I doing? Am I there yet? It's one way or the other, but not both. And so here's Israel wanting the good things of God, peace, 
Freedom? No-brainer. That's great stuff. We want that stuff, but we want a king too. And so what they did was they chose to be like all the nations. And God says, okay, you can be like all the nations. And he gave him a king. Now, he gave him a king who was just like them. He accepted the kingship. He even accepted that the Holy Spirit came upon him and enabled him. And then he went after his own way. And that's not pursuing the law, God's law. That's not pursuing God's way, the way he wants you to live. This is pursuing your own way, and that is the law of the jungle. I want what I want. That's rule number one. I want what I want. Okay, now we're in the realm of the jungle. Saul's first great crisis that he had to deal with was dealing with Nahash the Ammonite coming up against the city of Jabesh Gilead. Why did he come up against Jabesh Gilead? Because he's a law of the jungle type. He wanted them to surrender so he could put their right eye out and bring reproach on Israel. That's a worthy goal. I want to half blind you so you can't defend yourself and just make you look pathetic and, and worthy of contempt. What a great role in life. What did you do today, Nahash? Well, Mom, I have blinded a city in Israel. Oh, what a great boy you are. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You dog. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul mightily, enables Saul to be such a leader that he completely wipes Nahash out. But then Saul didn't really see God after that. You never see the Holy Spirit coming upon him ever again. Because he was doing his own thing. Even to the point where God fired him, but then Saul stayed on the throne. He didn't want to obey God and get off. Now, God gave Saul two unbelievable opportunities to repent and to obey God and get off the throne. Unbelievable mercy that no man on earth would have shown him. And Saul just says, well, I'm sorry. And he continues to disobey. So, not listening to God is the law of the jungle. So Saul now is in this war with the Philistines and their law of the jungle types. They're merciless and cruel. And you know what? Saul is following the law of the jungle. He's just nice and civilized. 
So it's a bunch of lions and tigers and bears versus a sheep. <laughs> Who's going to win? But that's what Saul chose. He is in the jungle, defenseless. He is a sheep for the slaughter. Now, that's what makes it so touching and emotional that the men of Jabesh Gilead show mercy and respect to Saul. Verse 11. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Here's these guys that Saul saved and they never forgot it. That compassion and that mercy. And they heard what happened to Saul and they said, that's not right. And they do something about it. They travel all night. They get the bodies off the wall. They burn them clean. Whatever indignities have been done to these bodies, whatever rotten state their bodies are in because they've been hanging on a wall decomposing and the birds are eating them and whatever else is going on, they just say that's dishonorable and they burn it all to make it clean and then they bury them. And that's showing respect. And it's showing love. And it reminds us that when Saul responded to the Holy Spirit coming upon him mightily, then God's people were not sheep for the slaughter. They were sheep who had a shepherd, which is a big difference. So, you know, you can either be a sheep in the jungle by yourself, ripe for the slaughter, or you can be a sheep with a shepherd, but you can't be both. Now you would say, well, I want to be a tiger. I want to be an elephant. I want to be something so big and so nasty that I can just live a nice, civilized life and nobody will bug me. But it doesn't work like that. This is the whole situation we're up against today when people are saying, there is no such thing as anything. You be anything you want. And if you want to identify as another gender or any spectrum within that, you can do that. Now that's not true. Gender is immutable. You cannot change your gender. And by pushing that kind of agenda, they're making people think that there's freedom and happiness in doing what you want. And it's not true. It's the law of the jungle. 
and you'll read stories about what it does to these people who believe it. And I have never read a story where somebody said, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. All you read about is people who've gone through everything they're told by their doctor and they have messed up their lives completely and they say, don't do this. You cannot go your own way in the jungle. You are a sheep. And you'll never become a tiger. So you really have two choices. You can be a sheep without a shepherd, or you can be a sheep with a shepherd. Now, why would you want both? Why would you want the good stuff of God, peace, freedom, happiness, but also I want my way? Why would you try to mix the two? This is the real issue, isn't it? And you know, there's lots of good stuff with God. There is love, joy, peace, forgiveness. There's lots of good stuff with God. But it's also fun to do your own thing, right? That's fun. I like doing my own thing. So those are the good sides, but there's some dark sides. There's things that you don't like about following Jesus. You don't like sitting in church in an airless building in massive heat while what's-his-face goes blah, 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 and all I can think about is a cup of cold water and what's for lunch. I'll give you that. This is brutal right now. Other people, they don't like the persecution. Everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Anybody here dig persecution? You like being made to feel like a dope because you believe in Jesus? Well, I'm not so crazy about it myself. You know that being a Christian costs you your life. It just does. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then you deny yourself, you pick up your cross every day, and you follow me. That's not a warm and fuzzy experience, but that's reality. So, you know, it's different things for different people. Some people have a hard time giving money. I read a, a story about a lady who was poor, and she was in England here, and she says, when I was poor, I had a shilling purse and a guinea heart. But now that I've become rich, I find that I have a guinea purse and a shilling heart. It's not so easy to give away money now that I have a lot of it. Some people don't like reading their Bible. It's like, wow, I already read this. Some people don't like praying. They don't like witnessing. They don't like loving people that you don't like. Really? Do I have to love this pinhead? The dog that howls, the dog that got hit. There are some downsides to being a Christian. Does everybody get that? 
Now, there's some bad things about having your own way. There is the guilt. There is the destruction that sin brings. There's the regrets. And these things are hard to live with. There is discouragement. There's a sense of isolation from God, but also isolation from people. If I told people what I'm struggling with right now, I'd be toast. So you find this funny, I'm hiding in the dark, I don't really relate with people, I don't relate with God, I'm isolated. There are some real significant downsides to sin, even in this life, let alone standing before God, and he says, what was that? And you go, I don't know, that's not a good answer. Now, some people don't think this through. And somehow they think that you can have the good stuff with God and you can have your own way. And somehow it will work. But what we can see from Saul and from Israel, it it does not work. And everything was so good for so long, but at the end, it's a train wreck. And it's real. There's no king in Israel. There's nobody to stand up against the Philistines. They can take anything they want. Israel is on the floor a mess. And it all goes back to this choice. We want what we want. We want to be like all the nations. Well, guess what? All the nations are in a mess. And that's what you're choosing to be like because you're choosing to be a sheep alone in the jungle. So if you're picking and choosing which bits you like about Jesus, you're choosing to be a sheep alone in the jungle. Does everybody get that? That way does not work. And what you're really deciding is to be a sheep for the slaughter because that's what people think in the world. Oh, are you a Christian? Ha, that's great. That means you die easy. You don't even make a noise when you go down. That's what some people think. That's what they're there for. And again, Being nice and civilized is not an advantage. Some people think that if you're a Christian, then that means you're nice. No, it means you have a shepherd. So the point is not to be the nicest person around. The object of life is to stay as close to your shepherd as you possibly can. Now, if you've got Jesus, you have a shepherd. And he said, I am with you to the end of the age. Aren't you glad? I am so glad today for his rod and his staff. He uses one of those on me, and he uses the other one on all my enemies. And I have a lot of enemies. Spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. 
Another reason why I'm thankful for a shepherd is he is not intimidated by any law of the jungle types. And we don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to be afraid of anybody because we can ask our shepherd to take care of them. Use whichever one of those rod or staff it is on them. So what do you do about a heart that kind of wants to go with Jesus but kind of doesn't? Have you ever experienced that? Well, you pray what David prayed in Psalm 86. He said, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. That's a prayer I pray a lot. Unite my heart to fear your name. So I don't have a divided heart, just kind of like, eh, I don't get my way, eh, but I don't want to go God's way. It's kind of like, eh. It's hard to be, eh, all the time. But I do enjoy God's loving kindness. And that's what unifies my heart. Both sides of my heart likes that. So, if you haven't received Jesus, you know what? You are a sheep in the jungle. And there's no mercy there. There's no kindness, there's no forgiveness, and there's no future. Because there's no God in the jungle. But if you stay out alone in that jungle, you will die forever. So what you want to do is come in out of the jungle and get a shepherd because he wants you to. Isn't that amazing? He says, stop doing that. Come to me. I'll be your shepherd. Let's pray. Thank you that you haven't left us like orphans. Thank you that nobody appointed you to be a shepherd. You do it because that's who you are. And I remember how the Apostle Paul said that we are considered like sheep for the slaughter. And yet in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us because nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have a, a shepherd. And because you're our shepherd, we shall not want that you're going to take care of our enemies. And we're going to dwell in your house forever. We're so glad for that today. Keep us close by you. And unite our heart to fear your name.
We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.